Hello. Hello. How's it going? Not bad. Things are things are moving. I think you're feeling it. I'm feeling it. We're both physically moving very soon. Ooh, yeah, like moving out of our current living situations. Yeah. And things are a changing as the <laughs> song goes. <laughs> um, yes. And there's hope in the air because in terms of the pandemic, I have one vaccine down. You are you have completed your vaccines, both doses, correct? Yes, yes. I am officially fully vaxxed up. Um, yeah, went through the all of the range of emotions, excitement, um, paranoia, um, <laughs> and then total fatigue. And then I think I'm like getting over that. And yeah, just hope at the um, end of the tunnel, hopefully. And this is our like, who I don't even know what number episode this is, but this is amazing project that we've been doing soon to be bi-coastal. Yeah, we're not really sure what the future of the podcast will look like, but, you know, we're going to keep trying it for a little bit at least and hoping that it kind of creates this collage of voices from this time period in our lives. Mm, I love that. I love that. So this episode features Mark Davis. I know Mark Davis from Seattle and Bainbridge Island, Washington, where I used to live right after college. He's an eclectic guy. I don't think we could ever really fit the breadth of his life into a podcast episode, but um, Carla's going to give a little bit of information about him in his bio. Yeah. And then we're going to go jump right into the interview, which I really enjoyed and I hope that our listeners enjoy it too. I learned so much just about mental health and spirituality and art and expression. And it was just such a really fulfilling episode um, and interview. So we hope that you all get a little something out of it too. And let us know and follow us on all the socials. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, let us know what you think. So Mark Davis has been an artist, a filmmaker, an academic, an intellectual, a dancer, a political analyst, and a psychologist. He's based out of Seattle, and his life is best described in bulleted form. Davis was first exposed to body-based psychotherapy in college. This changed his life and and determined his research interest for the next 20 years. Uh, He earned his BS in psychology and spent one year as a dance major. He got his PhD in clinical psychology at Syracuse University. His research uh, there examined somatosensory and sensation-based perception. Uh, He also completed his largest art installation of a three-dimensional maze, which sounds amazing. So while living in North Carolina, Um, Mark Davis developed his private practice in clinical and later forensic psychology. He started a dance company. He was president of the North Carolina Dance Alliance and presented the North Carolina Dance Festival, started Question Project in response to Bush's planned invasion of Iraq. Through this project, he completed three alternative news episodes for public access television. That's amazing. And then while living in Seattle, he met Ashley 
um, shot his debut documentary, Against the Tide, about people who lived in the Puget Sounds Eagle Harbor. And we talk about that uh, more in depth in the episode. And then he continued contemporary dance until a knee injury and a bar class until the pandemic. So uh, he began studying authentic relating and re- and resumed his practice of authentic movement. And we learned more about that in the episode as well. And then in his own words, he hung out with a Tantra cult. Very interesting. And he has taught sailing. I didn't previously know Mark Davis, but Ashley did. And I was so, um, yeah, as a person for myself, for my personal experience, it was just like really amazing. Just like having a little bit of insight into his, the workings of his mind. And it was just such a um, rewarding experience. So we hope you, that you all um, learn a little something too. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. I think I heard uh, Carla get on the call. Are you there, Carla? Oh, yeah. Can you guys hear me? Yes. We worked it out. Hi, Carla. Mark, meet Carla. Hi. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. (laughs) I've heard so many good things. Oh, thank you. You're the gal with the MFA in poetry. Uh, Yes, that's me. (laughs) And you're also the gal that came up with the Bleeding Eyes logo. (laughs) As soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, God, I want to participate. (laughs) Oh, I'm glad that was enticing. That's really great. That's super cool. Yeah, like right when I logged on, you two were having a ball. So I'm so glad that you could join us for our fourth episode. Yeah, I'm losing track of the numbers. We're just going to say next episode at this point. point. (laughs) Yeah, so Mark is in Seattle right now. He was just telling me um, before you got on, Carla, how it's a beautiful Seattle day. It's in the 50s. He's sitting by his window with his window open um wearing a, a few layers so it's very it sounds very characteristic of Seattle i was telling him how in pittsburgh it's in the 70s so we're actually i have a sunburn on my neck and we're just like enjoying this like early summer weather yeah i bet you are i'm jealous but i met mark a decade ago at this point and i was it was right after college for me and I was living on Bainbridge Island in Washington State and working, interning at Yes Magazine. Mm-hmm. And I needed an extra job. And <laughs> I was in the pub with my friend Ariel, who I guess she knew you, Mark, through the pub. And you would come in and just like chit chat with her. And you were suggesting that you needed a production assistant. And she suggested me. And then I don't know. I guess the rest is history. Our our friendship has been going on now for like 10 years, like I said. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> One of my favorite stories, Carla might enjoy this, but <laughs> about meeting Mark is you, Mark, had a little cabin right on the 
what's the waterway there right by the cabin that you had oh it's part of uh puget sound but i don't know that exact stretch okay well it was like this gorgeous like picturesque blue blue water and this tiny little cabin and we would work there in the cabin because you were living there for a time and when you took me there for the first time you were like okay and I don't know if you do this with all of your friends or if you just could tell that I love this kind of shit but you were like Ashley I'm gonna put you in the cabin I'm gonna step outside and you can look at anything you want to (laughs) and like pick through any of the trinkets and just get to know the space and then I'll come back in in like 10 minutes and you can ask me any questions you have. Do you remember that? I sure remember that. Yeah, I do. (laughs) Uh, The cabin was 170 square feet. It was tiny. And Mm. the guy was subletting it from had put a king size bed in it. So (laughs) it was really, really cramped. There was a little trail around the bed and then a tiny kitchen and a tiny bathroom (laughs) and a little tiny desk. And uh, I didn't want you to feel uncomfortable at all. You know, you're going to naturally anyway on your first day on the job or our first get together. And it's an old dance therapy trick, which is you start by exploring the room and Mm. if touching things and looking and noticing patterns of shade and light and color and they'll do it i i probably gave you at least five minutes um oh yeah. yeah and it definitely helps people calm down and get centered and present in the space and That's what I wanted for you. So sweet. (laughs) Ashley, what were you, what were some of the things you discovered or that you had follow-up questions about when you explored the room, if anything? Mm, It's hard to remember. I know there were some pictures on the wall that I was asking about, I think. Yeah, I also remember just the king-size bed, like, taking up the whole space. And I think you also cooked, like, this amazing dinner of salmon, like, back when I was eating salmon and (laughs) it was in like a cast iron skillet in the stove and I don't know you just you just have a way mark of like making people feel really special I'll never forget well good yes and either that visit or the second visit I liked you immediately and at some point I said well um who knows we may end up being friends I hope so and you actually teared up a little bit (laughs) So I was like, oh, I like her. <laughs> so, Mark, I, I wanted to kind of talk to you about friendship first and foremost in this interview, because being away from Seattle now for like 10 years, I I had a pretty strong feeling like I wanted to go back to Seattle and I tried to do that for a long period of time and to keep all of those friendships going. But after a while, you know, you realize that friendship is 
kind of a two-way street and I wasn't really necessarily feeling that from all of the people there and I kind of in the last year kind of gave up on my my dreams to return to Seattle and kind of just like accepted that I was at this point where I needed to move forward which is probably a lot longer than most people would take to accept something like that but then it was like right then that you started getting back in touch more regularly with me and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the wheel of life that you've been sort of studying lately and how that kind of helped you set goals for the past year which one of those goals was to get more in touch with friends yeah uh a couple things happened there one is that uh i was really frightened during the early phase of the pandemic just Mm -hmm. scared to death uh a person i knew got was one of the very first people to get sick and he turned out to be a long hauler and his Mm -hmm. symptoms were pretty miserable and I was just scared to death I was going to catch it and catastrophizing about, oh, there'll be tons of unemployed people in the street and on and on. And so it was a natural for me to reach out to friends and mm-hmm. you were near the top of the list. So that got me going. And then I uh, got into a practice with, oh, goodness, she's got a master's in nutrition. She's a coach and a yoga teacher, Pamela Melo. I got into, yeah, PamelaMelo.com. And she introduced me to something that's very common in the coaching industry called the wheel of life. And that's Mm -hmm. great. You make a pie chart and you divide it up into eights. And the categories are health, environment, career and business, relationships, personal growth, money, creativity, fun and recreation. And you go through and you rate your satisfaction in each of those areas on a scale of one to 10. This was part of a monthly seminar she runs on building habits. She said, pick one that you want to work on and I was feeling bad about health and like I needed and wanted to do more yoga so I was like oh I'll do that and my highest one was uh, relationships and friends and family she said pick a piece to build a habit on that something that lights you up internally and energetically and sounds fun And I was like, oh, that's relationships. I already had the highest score on that. But (laughs) I was like, I want to build a habit of doing that, reaching out even more, because that's what lights me up and is most fulfilling. You were already on that list, and I started getting in touch with people on the list more, so including you. And she uh, had us track. Uh, the behavior that we wanted to build a habit of. And my behavior was reaching out for phone calls. I kept on my phone the number of calls I would do a day. And yeah, uh, tracking a new behavior really helps reinforce it. That got me in touch with you even more. I'm so glad to hear the process. Yeah. That. And as I was asking you this question, Mark, I'm wondering, because Carla, you're from originally Michigan, we've talked about this before. And you know, you moved to LA when you were in your um, teens. Um, Tween? 
Yes. Well, kind of opposite. So grew up in LA and then like formative years in Southwest Michigan. But I've always kind of, I've never had like a hometown. I've never had like childhood friends. Fast forward to obviously like adulthood. um, I myself, I I was writing down everything Mark was saying because I was like, I need to put this into practice for myself. Um, (laughs) Like make the pie chart. (laughs) <laughs> and work on keeping connections with my friends that I, from Michigan, from childhood. It is definitely, like, a two-way street. My grandpa always used to say, like, no one will write you a letter if you don't write them a letter first, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's the same thing mm-hmm. with text messages. And a lot of my – the couple friends that are really, you know, I've kept over the years, like, we can reconnect after six months or a year and kind of just catch up where we left off but I really Mm -hmm. wish that it was more consistent and there's so many people that I send like telepathic love to but I I do there are times when I just was like I really should reach out and there's friends friendships that I've lost you know because time and distance for sure and I'm about to move again so, but now I'm a lot, I'm going to be a lot more intentional about keeping uh, in touch and writing snail mail and emails and people will get p- tired of like hearing from me, I'm sure. <laughs> like, but I know I'm like super serious because um, Mark, as you said, like um, friendships are one of those things that light me up inside um, internally. It makes me super happy to have those connections. I'm such a social person and with the pandemic and all I just haven't maintained those connections and I I also had a a solid month or two of like wallowing around like boo where are my friends but it's like (laughs) well you have to write them you have to reach out yes yes yeah it's true Mark so you have done you know a lot in the past you've done installation art you've done dance you've mentioned you've done filmmaking um in the past and maybe we should talk about the film that we did together um but as you said you're not functioning as an artist anymore so can you talk a little bit about um the film that we worked on together and and also what you're doing instead <clears throat> of this quote-unquote art. Uh, gee, that's a lot. I'll take it a piece at a time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, the film, I was living on Bainbridge Island in order to make the film. It was about, Bainbridge Island is a very wealthy community, about a half-hour ferry boat ride from Seattle. And... It's got a wonderful natural harbor called Eagle Harbor that the sort of town of Winslow, which is like the downtown of Bainbridge Island, sits on. And since the 1800s, people have lived uh, in that harbor on their boats. Fast forward to the present time, there were probably 30 boats in the water and the folks that lived on them had progressively become fewer mariners and more people sort of with one foot on homelessness and the other on a roller skate and living in these <laughs> <laughs> living in these boats 
the boats are anchored out in the middle of the harbor and many of them were sort of on their last legs if you can ascribe legs to a boat that was okay with the people on the island for a long time until folks started buying property on the south side of the harbor across from the town that were these million dollar multi-million dollar homes looking down on the harbor both literally and metaphorically they hated these Mm -hmm. Some, many of the boats were really disgusting looking. It was like a blue tarp encampment, except floating on the water. And they uh, (laughs) wanted to get rid of them and went to great lengths to do so, including suing, well, getting the state to pass a law that said you could only live moored in the same place for 30 days in the waters of Washington State. And so here's a group of folks that were really living in a time-honored tradition on the harbor that were at the complete opposite end of the socioeconomic spectrum from the folks that we're trying to get rid of them. Some people in the on the island wanted to retain them and their way of life, and it turned into an enormous, long, drawn-out, over many years fight with lawsuits against the state brought by these homeowners that spent $40,000 trying to get the state to kick these people out. My cousin mm-hmm. was one of the guys living on the water, so I just started filming. They had cracked the lifestyle option, a waterfront view straight across Puget Sound to Seattle, and I was out there on my cousin's boat as the sun was going down, and the whole skyline of Seattle lit up with this marvelous fluorescent pink And I said, God, you guys, no taxes, no mortgage, no rent. (laughs) You are living the life. And I said, uh, I ought to make a movie. And so I did. It Mm -hmm. took four years to shoot. Got over 110 hours of footage which for an hour movie, for every minute of film, you've got 110 minutes that you have to pick what's going to go in there. So boy, did I need a production assistant. Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's called Against the Tide. Uh, Let's go ahead and plug it while we're at it. Uh, Tinyurl.com forward slash against the tide movie uh it's 45 minutes long documentary and uh i'm proud of it it's it's a good watch ashley if you had experience being like a production assistant before then or if there was like a steep curve learning curve i didn't have experience being a production assistant or a personal assistant and i kind of like functioned as both a little bit but it was fun getting to hang out with mark and learn about his life we were traveling around all of these beautiful islands in the pacific northwest and me trying to learn how to row a rowboat was pretty sad so i think there's a video of me somewhere trying to row through the puget sound that's pretty funny (laughs) but yeah it's definitely a highlight of my life so yeah it was a good time uh and you asked about not 
being an artist anymore, I uh, decided I wanted to make another documentary. This one about what happens to severely mentally ill people when they get on the wrong side of the criminal justice system. It's just a travesty how they're treated and how their situations are almost always made worse and how people that are psychotic get released out of years in solitary confinement and expected to function. A lot of that has been improved over the years, but for the most part, it's a real mess. I bought a new camera and got a uh, super fast MacBook Pro that could handle high definition editing and got all set and did a year's worth of research. And then it came time to start knocking on doors and it hit me that I didn't have it, what it took to do another enormously involved project that, I mean, four years as my primary life's purpose was making that film. And this subject would have a lot of additional challenges that the first one didn't. A friend of mine, when I started the first film, said uh, documentaries are a labor of love. And I was like, oh, okay. And I got back to her after two years and I said, they're also a labor of hate. (laughs) And and I realized I just didn't want to go through it again. So I never made the film. And unless something really hits me, I've still got the camera. I don't anticipate making another film. I can't really see myself doing that much intensive effort again. Carla, have you ever had that experience with like a large art project or just some kind of project that you've worked on that you just decided like, I can't do it anymore? Or like maybe this phase of your artistic life is over? Um, no. (laughs) Though I probably will in the future. (laughs) I, I just haven't like necessarily come across that. I've had different phases of like artistic content that I'm interested in or mediums that I'm using. Once I discovered collage, I never really went back to oils. I think that that is comparable to perhaps just saying like, I'm done with this. But yeah, I'm really drawn to the phrase not functioning as an artist anymore, which (laughs) like... Aren't you, you as in in general and also personally, like, I kind of feel like once an artist, always an artist or like a creative is always a creative. Like there's art in cooking or baking or making love or however, you know what I mean? Like, or was it just like a, a full stop? I am not an artist. It sort of slunk away in the night. Uh, the other... <laughs> Wow. The other artistic endeavors I was doing was contemporary dance and uh, installations of um, three-dimensional mazes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, The dance took a couple of hits. The most recent one, which is I tore a meniscus in my knee. And when I try and keep working on it, it hurts even worse. And so that's kind of pulled me out of contemporary dance. I still take bar classes because it's predictable what you're going to be doing. And Mm -hmm. I can stay away from things that are going to worsen the knee. 
Mark, you you must have had many of these sort of beginning, middle, end of these phases of art in your life. Because I also remember when you were dancing when you were younger. I think it was in North Carolina. You said you, you said you were on stage, and someone that had watched you performing said that you looked like a pedestrian, and <laughs> that's when you knew it was time to quit that phase. Right. Uh, that was an interesting one. What I think they actually said was, God, you just get up there and go for it, don't you? Um, oh. <laughs> and I uh, paraphrased him as being I was a pedestrian. That was a deal where it was a jazz oh, okay. piece. And I was up there with six or seven young 20 something girls. And it was really sharp, quick, percussive jazz. And as one of my teachers told me once, I move like water. So uh, I'm not sharp, quick and percussive. I was when I was their age, I could do it on purpose if I had to. But uh, I just stuck out like a sore thumb on the stage. So in dance world, we would say, oh, that's really pedestrian. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so I stopped doing jazz with 20-somethings. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of, I really love that though. Like just pedestrian as an adjective. Uh-huh. I don't know. Yeah. It has like an interesting like sharpness to it. But like if you said that to the wrong person, maybe they would really be offended. I don't know. Like yeah. that's so pedestrian. Like that's so kind of like cookie cutter or like basic or something like along those connotations. Yeah. I think it generalizes out to a number of fields of endeavor. Um, you could say that somebody's <laughs> book was pedestrian. Oh my god! I love it. Oh no, Carla's like working on a book right now, and I'm like thinking about my future book. I really hope neither of those are pedestrian, but hey, I'm thinking yeah, of sophomoric of here too. <laughs> sophomores are just you know sophomores, but if something's sophomoric, then all of a sudden it's got a, a negative connotation. Yeah. But Mark, you're still doing dance right like tell us a little bit about the improvisational movement I know you mentioned it in the beginning but talk a little bit more about this authentic movement that you've been doing and and how there's two roles at least I understood it that there's two roles there's the mover and the witness yes uh authentic movement is the opposite of performance. It's uh, very internally based. It was started by a woman named Mary Stark Whitehouse in the 50s. And she was a modern dancer with Martha Graham. And she became a psychotherapist and studied a lot of Jungian psychology and developed this form where there's a mover and a witness. The mover attempts to find an internal movement generator. So they're moving from a felt sense of the body improvisationally following what occurs in each passing moment. And mm -hmm. the 
it's you're not moving for utilitarian purposes or to entertain or to be expressive like we usually think of it with the term lyrical dance so you may spend minutes just working with minute movements in your pelvis or you may be whole body undulating across the floor uh, <laughs> and there's something about having a witness that allows you to stay with that work. It's, it's very subtle work. Uh, it's, it's sort of, I, hopefully I'm making it sound clear, the distinction between that and doing performance. And it's about what arises for you out of a... Emotionally, what arises for you? Uh, a felt sense of body and impulse that arises and that will often have an emotional content associated with it. Not always. Uh, mm -hmm. but, and sometimes what emerges can be incredibly powerful and cathartic. So the Jungian part is at play here because you can discover things. Uh, pelvis is loaded with conflicts for, for many people. Um, because of the sexual aspect and uh, getting in touch with movement impulses and sensations from pelvis, you're opening a receptive channel for those that hasn't been opened before. And what can arise can be very fearful and disturbing or alternatively very pleasurable and erotic. It's, it's a very powerful form and it keeps me embodied in a way that I find so grounding and so, so fulfilling. So that's really kept mm -hmm. the core of what drew me to dance alive. Wow, that's so beautiful. Thank you, yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, there's a uh, there's a practitioner in Pittsburgh. I know you guys are Pittsburgh based. Uh, he's Mark Taylor, and he's got BodyMindMovement.com. If uh, anybody listening from Pittsburgh wants to follow up on that, or you can go to AuthenticMovementInstitute.com. and they've got resources and and can hook you up with local practitioners there's also a closely allied form called body mind centering that was uh, invented by a woman named bonnie bainbridge cohen and she's got a great quote which is the mind is like the wind and the body like the sand if you want to see how the wind is blowing you can look at the sand Aww. yeah yeah very very pithy <laughs> That's a, I mean, that uh, method and that approach of authentic movement and witness, I personally had never heard it before, but it sounds like so transformative and so healing and so nutritious for the body. And it also sounds like a really well-kept secret. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is. Um, I don't know why that is. It's, it's clearly not for everybody since, you know, it's been around for 70 years now or so. 
that uh, it would have caught on a lot more. So I think one needs to be attuned a certain way at the outset to benefit from it. I use this word interoception, which refers to sensory perception of processes occurring within the body, like kinesthesia uh, and proprioception, position, sense as opposed to exteroception, which is sight and sound and, and perceiving ex external sources of stimuli. And some people are interoceptively attuned and some people are not. Uh, so I suspect, although I'd love for authentic movement to be available to all folks and as, as beneficial and healing and nutritious for the body, as you described, there's plenty of folks that just don't get it. <laughs> well, it sounds like um, when you were talking about it, it sounds like ecstatic dance a little bit, which I have done in the past. But it also reminds me that that um, there's another practice called eye gazing, right? That that maybe if you're not so in touch with your body, maybe that's a similar um, kind of exercise that, that one could do to achieve similar results. Well, the big yeah. distinction there is uh, eye gazing. You've got a whole nother living, breathing soul right across from you. Whereas, <laughs> although the witness is present, you're not interacting with them at all. You're, you're bringing forth your own internal impulses. Now, those can show up in eye gazing, when I first started practicing that, I found it incredibly disruptive. It took me months to get to where I was comfortable doing it. So I guess in some ways there are similarities. It, it definitely turns up the volume on your existential experience <laughs> of your own state. <laughs> is eye gazing what I think it is? Eye gazing? So it would be like you're sitting in front of someone else and staring directly into their eyes and holding that gaze for like five minutes, basically, and just kind of witnessing each yes. other. Um, yes, it's very powerful. Mm -hmm. Wow. It sounds like I want to do that with, <laughs> <laughs> with certain people. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, definitely pick your person. And, and if they're up for it, like I said, I found it really disruptive. <laughs> it was very difficult for me at first. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it and can you can hard. learn an enormous uh, uh, amount about yourself. Wow. That's, I wonder, yeah, I'm so curious. I, I want to experiment with that. If you feel like sharing, like what were some of the, um, disruptive things about it if you could point to a few uh let's see being me i remember most of those somatically uh mm -hmm. i would almost start quaking wow yeah and there was one woman oh that was gosh. pretty perceptive and she would go she would she would go are you all right <laughs> and mm. i would try and establish <laughs> A whole body sense that I would be fully aware of, of my feet planted on the ground and what my knees and pelvis were doing and how I was standing and present as a way, I think, almost of simultaneously withdrawing from the intensity of the other person's gaze and at the same time 
trying to find a whole intact, complete sense of myself to be present with for them. And in the process of opening up uh, to my own sensations and body, uh, I would get these, these quakes <laughs> that wow. had fear associated with them. It was pretty powerful. Yeah. So Mark, you've, I mean, you, you're talking a lot about like this, these bodily sort of therapies that you've done, but I think why we get along so well is like, you're very self-aware and you're very interested in like becoming your best self all the time. And so you've, you've also done other modalities. So you've, you've actually had the same therapist for nine (laughs) years. Is that right? Yes, I have. I have. That is mind blowing to me. You're also a former therapist yourself, which we'll get into that in a few minutes. But like, what are the what are the pros and cons of having the same therapist for nine years? Uh, A lot, a lot. Uh, I'll start with a (laughs) quote that I ran across three days ago. Uh, It's from a travel writer named Paul Thoreau. And he said, a road trip would release me from the useless obsession of (laughs) (laughs) self-scrutiny. And I thought, oh, my God, is that what I've been involved with? (laughs) Yeah, sometimes it feels painstaking. Well, there's got to be some good oh my goodness, things about yes. it. Well, for one thing, it eventually it's its own form of pillow talk. <laughs> I I don't have okay. uh, much in the way of history of girlfriends, um, scattered relationships mm-hmm. that typically last uh, a year or two, and punctuated by fairly long periods of being single, and so. Having somebody that you check in with on a regular basis and have developed this ability to share anything without uh, editing is just so powerful by itself. And many couples get to that point uh, where they share so intimately that uh, it's a real benefit to them. And I'll tell therapists, mm-hmm. I'll tell her that. Uh, I go, oh my God, this is just like pillow talk. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, uh, the combination of what seems like, uh, it's sort of like the pandemic in a way. Uh, I call it the seemingly interminable repetition of themes um there's classic stuff that mom did that uh crops up again and again in terms of relations with women in terms of my own continent of self-criticism um that uh we we touch on again and again and always in the light of new uh, circumstances and sometimes repeating the same patterns with people again and again. And I drew a parallel to the pandemic because 
uh, living by myself and not going outside of the house, the daily routine just became <laughs> so foremost in my consciousness. And it was like this interminable repetition and, and involved in, in many ways, me just getting sick of myself. So <laughs> for all of that, there's still a recurrence of events and circumstances that I won't recognize myself as being rooted in some of these early psychodynamic uh, interactions like with mom. So the psychotherapy is, is what they would call an insight-oriented psychodynamic psychotherapy. It's not focused on, oh, how do we deal with your anxiety in speaking to others with behavioral techniques or things like that. It's also valuable because I'm kind of a lifelong intermittent depression person. And it can be so insidious as it's encroaching that I won't recognize that certain negative thoughts are really starting to show up as a result of the depression. And she will catch that, Julie, the therapist, uh, sometimes before I do. And... Uh, mm. it really helps uh, against that insidious advance. Mm -hmm. And Mark, I know that you, like I said, you're a former therapist yourself. We've talked about this on the phone. And Carla and I have talked in past episodes about how we're sort of getting like social anxiety as people are returning to social settings. Um, it's just kind of like this awkward space where we don't know how to communicate with people as well anymore. And I'm wondering if you've noticed anything else that people are struggling with right now during, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic and uh, how people are handling. Oh, it. that's a big, big order. <laughs> <laughs> Or just, you know, how people are, what they're... Yeah, what they're uh, the, well, what, what you're describing for your, you and Carla is, is really common right now is people experiencing uh, a certain amount of difficulty transitioning back to even moderate levels of socializing that... Uh, they would just take without in stride without second thought beforehand. So you're in good company there. Um, there's an interesting <laughs> uh, study that just came out uh, that uh, Gallup did a poll and they found that 44% of U.S. workers prefer to work from home once restrictions are lifted. And 39% want to return to the office. So there's a number of factors at work there. But I'm surprised that so many of us would prefer to work at home, even though that's kind of been a gold ring to catch on the carousel for a long time, is to be able to do that and travel anywhere. But uh, some folks really want to get back and who knows what's going on with their family life. But it's very common for people to report anxiety and particularly introverts. <laughs> uh, 
uh, are uh, experiencing more difficulty getting back into a social mode than before. So there's lots of anxiety around that. And therapists are recommending things like exposure therapy, where you rate a variety of different social interactions you're anticipating having, and you rank order those from least scary to most scary, and you start with the least scary ones and talk and breathe and practice your way through those and sort of work back up the ladder. Uh, but yeah, at its core, it's, it's, I remember working in Alaska in a little town, a little village for an extended summer with no phone, no TV, no radio and just surrounded by woods and water and coming back to Seattle just overstimulated me. I, I was nervous and anxious and on edge and discombobulated for days doing that. So for those of us that are <laughs> primarily living wow. at home without housemates or partners, uh, it's just a natural reaction to get the jitters. A friend of mine took her four-year-old to sort of a play date with some other kids, a gathering of the moms that have been vaccinated. And she said, you could see it even in the kids. Um, after a fairly short period of time, their faces wow. begin to look really fatigued. Oh, <laughs> <Aww>. yeah. wow. <laughs> yeah, I was, I, I've been noticing like my own patterns and, I used to be a really social person and I was almost nonstop going out. And I wondered how I had that energy because I definitely don't have that energy now. And I can pretty much, I have the capacity to like do one social thing like a week, but that's interesting, mm -hmm. Mark, that those, those stories. And it made me think about, um, <laughs> I don't know, a, a little sidebar from like personal experience. So I'm moving from Pittsburgh to, or from PA to California soon. And we've talked about this in um, past episodes as well, but shopping around for a therapist, right? And like finding the person that fits for you. Um, and I've been a little unhappy with my therapist as of late. Um, and I'm so glad I'm moving because they're not licensed in California. So I get to find, <laughs> I get to find somebody else. <laughs> Because, like, <laughs> I'm not brave enough. I wasn't, like, brain brave enough to, like, break up with them. Um, Ooh. Yeah, so I'm really, like, I'm. it's going to be a couple more weeks, and then I can find somebody else. Um, and then my therapist was like, I have the worst news for you. I'm not licensed in California. And I was like, oh, okay. And I tried to, like, act sad about it, but I was actually... Like, uh, very ecstatic. Wow. Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, I'm sure, like, also like normalized shopping for a therapist. Like, I just wasn't happy. But also, I, I can also like recognize that I was privileged enough to like have a therapist and like accessibility to one once mm -hmm. a week when I know other people had been struggling and like their 
therapists are like booked for months out and they can't find mm-hmm. someone that's accessible. Um, and then uh, um, something riffing off of what you said earlier, Mark, about the people that want to go back to work in an office setting or in a social setting and the people that don't, I'm, I'm like, no one, you know, asked me, like, <laughs> um, like, like, yeah, where do these polls come from? But um, <laughs> anyway, like, I am torn. I really miss some of my coworkers and the um, kind of a collaborative, creative setting and where I would learn about, uh, who knows, I don't know, I want to say, I don't know, pop culture things or like new movies that were out or new songs or memes or whatever. And then, yeah, working from home, um, I just don't have like those those sources, I suppose you could call them. Um, so I really had to consider what I was consuming. And, and, and then, of course, like, find my own new music and find the, my own movies to watch and, you know, find my own um, sources, I suppose. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think I'm either or right now. Like, sound like having um, having to commute and like putting on a blazer kind of sounds nice because I spend a lot of time like, <laughs> not like in leggings you know I, I don't have a reason to put on like an actual outfit these same days. here <laughs> <laughs> yeah I just got a killer new blazer from Buffalo Exchange well new to me it's like double breasted shoulder pads fits me like a glove and I'm like really looking forward to being like the power business woman in this blazer when I step back into the office hell yeah I get it girl <laughs> But I also want to, I would like to have some sort of, you know, half uh, half in the office, half at home scenario. I think that would be the best combination. Yeah, that sounds like a, a good combination. Yeah, you can get the cross-fertilization about <laughs> movies and music and hot new artists uh, and still the joy mm-hmm. of discovering on your own and sort of poking around. Yeah, when that, when that was happening, though, I always felt like the outsider. Um a lot of my colleagues were a little bit younger and they would always talk about like really cool things. So I would pretend I was just like eavesdropping. I was never in those like <laughs> cool conversations. Um, and I kind of considered them fly like, on the wall. Yeah. I kind of considered them nerdy, but then I got into some of those nerd things over quarantine. So now I'm like ready, you know, I was like, Oh, I know what WandaVision is. Like well, I was going to say like such as <laughs> the, marvel universe so mm. i'm in, i'm into it now but it's too late i like i'm late oh well, worst case scenario you'll get back <laughs> and they will have moved on <laughs> oh my god yeah of course, <laughs> of course. <laughs> okay second to last question mark because we gotta wrap this up i could talk to you all day usually our phone conversations are like three hours long <laughs> but um I know Mark at least in the beginning of the pandemic you were into you were kind of like obsessed with politics and you were doing a lot of like doom scrolling on Facebook um you even told me once that you felt like a mouse hypnotized by a cobra (laughs) and you had subscribed to a bunch of you know like news feeds and I'm wondering if you can talk about that a little bit more, like that cycle of getting sucked into the news cycle and 
and where you're at now. Yeah, that didn't that. start with the pandemic. The mouse hypnotized by a cobra came to me almost okay. immediately after Trump was elected. And the first thing I did was oh, subscribe right. to the New York Times and the Washington Post and sort of mm-hmm. obsessively followed all the depredations and outrages of that horrible, horrible administration um, and mm-hmm. couldn't tear my eyes away. And now that he's gone, I find that I'm spending far less time with the news. I still spend a fair amount, but not hours like I was before. And pandemic mm-hmm. um, certainly turned up the volume on that. I, I was spending a lot more time watching um, and reading than I was before. So that's mostly what that was about, was sheer horror about mm-hmm. Trump. And I notice uh, I'm still sort of scrolling the news, but it there's fewer headlines that grab me and that I click through on to read. And I don't know if you guys know about Heather Cox Richardson. She's, um, Oh, I forget what her Mm -hmm. platform is, but she's got an email list. You can search for her. And uh, she's a historian that lives in Maine with her fisherman husband and is a hot shot from somewhere. And she was, she <laughs> sends out an email every day uh, evaluating the news and from a historical perspective, she's brilliant. Uh, a number of my friends read her. You can Google her and just get on the email and they're, they're relatively short, but I'm not even reading her now. Um, she was so good at dissecting Trump administration. Um, so it's opened up some time for me just as I'm in a position to go out and socialize more and do other things. (laughs) Carla, you want to wrap it up with our regular question of the episode? Yeah. So somewhere along the lines of us doing this project, um, this archival podcast, um, we like to close out with a very broad question that's just, do you have like a interesting therapy tip, so to speak, um, like a free t- therapy tip for our listeners or anyone out there in the universe that, you know, I don't know who needs to hear this, but kind of question. <laughs> just like it's tips. funny. Uh, I think everybody can benefit from... spending a little more time restoring their contact with the physical world, most importantly, their own. Mm -hmm. And that can be as simple as just standing in the living room and rocking or rolling on your ankles in such a way that your head makes a little circumference of a circle and pay attention to the sensations in ankles and the distribution of weight on foot. And even just a couple of minutes 
uh, will be what they call grounding and refreshing and new. I've been hanging out with what I call a Tantra cult. <laughs> and, nice. Yeah, their emphasis <laughs> is uh, oh, yes. finding the sacred in the mundane and uh, elevating mm-hmm. simple sensory experience to a place of centrality in mental and emotional and spiritual well-being. If you're able to just run your fingers over the leaves on a tree as well as smell and, and enjoy them visually, that that little moment opens up something uh and then finally if i can do a double duty on here uh i would say making art even though uh my art right now is more in the terms of just what i described in the authentic movement but um making art is in the now um so much stress comes from worry about the future and anxiety and making art is present. And I think that's got enormously therapeutic uh, abilities. Yeah, wow. So yeah, true. Thank you so much for that. So much of what you said just totally like anchored me and res- like resonated with what I've been trying to work on lately, which is being more present. Um, so yeah, thank you for your wisdom and your um, advice, which is so cool. I've been hearing a lot about grounding, going outside, you know, hugging a tree or putting your your fingers in soil or even just like yes. bare feet yes, to the ground. Yes, all of the above. Mm-hmm. It's not just a TikTok <laughs> trend. It's actually real. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even know it was a TikTok trend. <laughs> I mean, some some young people out there, they really got their, you know, their thumb on the pulse. But it's good to know that there's like a history, there's a lineage behind that. And I, and I honestly truly believe it. Um, I just know that, yeah, like vibrations are real, energy is real. And every time I put my bare feet on the ground, I like something happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so beautiful and um, just Yeah, reassuring. we've gotten just enough breaks in early spring in Seattle that I've been able to go now twice to little dances uh, in a park uh, barefoot on the grass, and it changes everything, <laughs> mm. <laughs> especially turning your face mm. to the sun and opening your chest and your arms and just soaking it all in. It's transformative. Well, Mark, it was so lovely to talk to you as always. And I really appreciate you chatting with us. (laughs) I love you so much. You're the best. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad you got to meet Carla. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Such an honor to meet you and yeah, be in touch. Um, You are so welcome. Yeah. Thank you so much. I've got a question for you, Carla. Uh, I remember, Yes, what's up? I don't know if it was the first uh, episode, but you said something that really caught me, which was um, making art alone is political. Do you remember that? Uh, yeah, vaguely. <laughs> it sounds like something I would say. 
that one. I really thought about that one after you said it, because I've always conceived of political as being, you know, in the arena uh, with interacting with others in certain ways. And um, so I just Mm. I wanted to ask you about that. I made a little note. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That rings a bell now because I do I do have a belief that even when I am creating for myself, it, it it's inherently political. Like I'm having a conversation, you know, with my inner, I don't know, like my inner self and um, maybe a monologue of some kind or yeah, just like processing something or expressing something. And I'm a huge believer in, in making art for myself and not necessarily in, um, I mean, I, I love to share it with other people and I and it's so amazing when other people connect with what I create, but it's really for my own, you know, for my for the walls in my apartment. Like I want to stare at what I make, um, which sounds kind of selfish, but that's I think that's like the root of what I was trying to say. Um, and like political, like the political, the word itself has like many connotations, but I think uh, like artists and, you know, humans alike, any, any people just like walking, like living this life and walking this earth. I, I feel like we're all have a purpose and we're all making a statement no matter what it is. So yeah, I don't know. I'll have to yeah. on that one a little bit. Uh, more so too. it's about the process as well as the product. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Well, yeah. Thanks for remembering sure. that and for asking me. <laughs> um, that's, so cool. I learned a lot. Oh, I'm so glad. Too, Great. So. That, that warms my heart, Carla. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Okay. Well, I will talk to you guys soon. I hope you both have an awesome night. And Okay. I'm Great. Thank you, Ashley. The world. Love you. Love you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye, Carla. Love you, too. Bye-bye. Bye.